Warning! Deep Fix contains adult content and language. So if you don't touch processed foods but eat gummy bears, this may not be for you. And now, Deep Fix. Hello, and welcome to Deep Fix, where we're getting a fix of all of our favorite obsessions. I'm your host, Jen B. And this season, we're doing a deep dive into the epic Real Housewives of New York City, seasons one through three. And this episode, we're breaking down season two, episode two, Hampton's Retreat, but no surrender. Now, let's get our fix. So I call this episode a transition episode in that nothing earth shattering happens. But again, what's great about these original Housewives episodes is that it doesn't matter that it's a transitional episode because it just means we get to know the Housewives a little bit better. For example, we really get to know Jill's parents as they come and visit and stay with her. And we get to see some of the housewives out in the wild doing their own thing without each other, which, as I've said before, it's part of what's going on right now with the Housewives franchise, where it's just becoming inauthentic. It's becoming very produced by the reality stars themselves. They know how to work the show. They know what works. They've, they're becoming producers. And so because of that, you get just sit in a room and fight. And that's not what the audience wants. It's fun when that happens organically, or at least interesting. But it doesn't need to be the focus of every episode. We need some fun and light. And so these transition episodes used to bring that. We get to see them with their own families. So fingers crossed Bravo Production takes note and perhaps goes back to some of its old ways. So with that, let's jump right into a recap of the episode because it's turtle time. Season two of Roni started filming in July of 2008, just a few months after they shot the reunion, and then started airing in February of 2009. And one of the things I love about the first few episodes of the early Roni years is that we open up in the summertime in the Hamptons. It's bright. It's fun. They're by the beach. It's a great vibe. And so episode two of season two opens up in the Hamptons. We're with Luann. It's her dog, Aston. It's his first birthday. She's throwing a doggy birthday party for him, which is really just an excuse for the ladies to get together. And then we also see Luann get honored at the American Cancer Society. There's an event that they host out in the Hamptons where she and the Count are being honored, although the Count, of course, is in Asia and can't make it. So her mother accompanies her. And we don't really get too much Luann again in this episode, but we do get to meet her mom. So it does serve its purpose as a good transition episode where we we get to meet the family and some of the behind the scenes of the person themselves. And as for Ramona, she joins the ladies for the dog birthday party, where Jill proceeds to grill her about Kelly Ben Simone and everything she thought about her at the charity event when she first met her. And we also see Ramona and Bethany go to lunch at 75 Maine and do a little additional bonding And in that conversation, we learn that Ramona has contributed to articles in Cosmo magazine. And as for Jill, we get a lot of Jill this episode. Again, she's the connector, so not to be surprised. We're at her Hamptons house. 
So we get to see the inner workings of her family and the events that are going on in the summer in her home. It's great. We meet Jill's parents, Sal and Gloria. Saul, I think it is. And they're in town from Florida. And I have to say, Jill Zarin makes so much more sense when you really get to know her mom, Gloria, who I hate to say it because it's mean, but she's pretty much an impossible narcissist. But we get a lot of the inner workings of Jill's family. But we also get to see a lot of her and Bethany. Bethany is staying with her for the summer. Jill has offered up her home. And it's just, it's great to see them together like this. It's so much fun. And then Jill and Bethany close out the episode by also attending the American Cancer Society event at which Luann is being uh, honored. And as for Bethany, we see her land at Jill's house after a breakup with Jason number one. And Bethany explains that as to Jill allowing her to stay at her house for the entire summer, no one's ever been a friend like that to her. Jill is allowing her and encouraging her to focus on her business and save her money and put it all back into her company and not wasting her money renting a house out in the Hamptons for the summer where she has to work and cook. And so it seems like things are going well for her business wise. But as we see personally, things are falling apart. She's broken up with Jason and she's back to being single again. But then we also see her go to lunch with Ramona, which is fun and light. And she closes out the episode at the American Cancer Society with Jill and Luann dancing the night away. And then as for Alex, shocking, we see she is shopping with Simon out in the Hamptons. And we get to see more of Simon's creepiness. How lucky for us. We also get them at the beach in the Hamptons where they take the opportunity to definitely poo-poo the Hamptons again, as opposed to St. Bart's, where, of course, you know, they go every summer. And then last but not least, we have Kelly Ben Simone. And we only get one scene with Kelly, and it's a little later in the episode, so they're slowly giving us bits and pieces of her. Or maybe she wasn't giving them anything to shoot, who knows? But we see her at a Hamptons party. She's acting erratic and flighty and flirtatious, of course. Typical Kelly. But she looks like she's having fun. So with that, let's get to our breakdown of the episode and mention it all. This episode opens up with a sweeping overview of Luann's beautifully manicured Hamptons home. I can't say enough about how immaculate the grounds are. And it's Aston, their little Westie, their dog. It's his first birthday party, and they're throwing a birthday party for him. Sadly, uh, Luann recently posted that Aston passed away. And I guess if you think about how long ago these episodes were, I guess it makes sense, but still so sad. But anyway... They're having his first birthday party at a doggy parlor. I believe it's called the Hamptons Hound. And I couldn't help but wondering, was this really just a made up storyline? It feels like it. It's really just an excuse to get all the women together, right? I mean, is the Countess really throwing Aston a first birthday party and asking her friends who happen to only be the housewives to come? I mean, chances are no. But I do like that producers are at least still attempting to act like it's natural. Whereas now they get together for the sole purpose of discussing drama. Here they're trying to just naturally get them together to talk about things. I appreciate the attempt. So Luann has invited Jill and Ramona. And of course, Bethany comes along because she's staying with Jill this summer. And they all bring their dogs, except for Ramona. And we see Bethany walk in. She asks Luann if she's found her phone. Luann says no. Someone stole her Blackberry right out of her purse old tech alert. But you can see the ladies are really starting to get to know each other. 
And Bethany, she goes in for the jugular right off the bat and calls Ramona out for the Irish goodbye at Jill's, uh, at Jill's charity event, which she says last night. So clearly you can see they are taking advantage of filming. The night before was Jill's charity event, which ended the last episode. And now we're opening up the next episode the next day. And as I said, Ramona explains she couldn't bring Coco, her dog. So she brought her friend's lizard and she brings out this white gecko looking poor little lizard that's probably scared to death. And she's showing everybody at peas. Typical Ramona. And then we get our typical Jill as she starts to grill Ramona about Kelly. Jill is just machine gun mouthing questions at her. You know, what What did you talk about? Why did you think she was funny? Where is she from? Did you, did you get the vibe that she was comfortable? And Ramona's like, whoa, I just met her for a couple of minutes. I don't know, Jill. And Jill's like, you know me. I need to know the dirt. Ramona tells her there is no dirt. I talked to her for about five minutes. That's all I've got for you. And Jill just keeps going in. Well, where does she live? Does she have a house in the in the Hamptons and in the city? What was the impression you got of her? Ramona, you could tell, is just exhausted as most people would be. And then Jill, it, I thought it was interesting. She says, oh, well, I, I felt that she was out of place or she felt that she was out of place. And I do think Jill is picking up on something there. But of course, Ramona jumps to her rescue. Look, don't be so hard on on Kelly, Ramona says. And, you know, Jill's like, I'm not, I'm not. She goes on to mention that Alex and Simon came to her charity event, to which, of course, Ramona reminds everybody that she does not care for them. Jill explains that they did donate to her charity. And Ramona says, oh, of course, great. So everything's good. So they had to kiss your butt and it's good, right? She kind of laughs. And then we cut to Alex. She's, no surprise, going shopping at a store called Blue and Cream. She's with Simon. They claim to know the owner, Jeff, who's there. And we hear Simon explaining that they rarely shop without each other. But if the rare instance happens that they have to shop alone, he would like, you know, email her a photo and make sure to get her thumbs up. He's just going on and on about how they just do everything together, right? The codependency. And then we're, we're getting clips of Simon. He's trying on clothes. He's Got shoes, suits, and of course there's green shoes, pink suede shoes, blue shoes, pink suits, suits that are like long short suits as opposed to pants suits. Of course, typical Simon unique outfits and lots of color choices. And we hear Simon explaining that he is not afraid to wear color or wear pink. He's been wearing pink shirts since he was 16. So don't be surprised to see him in loud colors. And then we cut to Simon. He's trying on some of those pink suede shoes. And he and Alex are trying on clothes. They're standing in front of the mirror. And he's got the pink shoes on. And she says to him, well, what if you wear those shoes when I wear that pink Gautier thing I have? Which I thought it was a bit of a label drop. But then Simon says to her, well, we don't have to always match. Although we like to match, of course. And he kind of leans into her. And you can tell her face is a bit caught off guard. And I just didn't like this interaction. I felt it was very manipulative of him. And it's coming from an insecure place of his. It seemed kind of how he feels like he controls her, not because he's controlling, but because deep down he's insecure. But remember, he's the one who constantly talks about the codependence BS. And they, they never do anything apart. We always have to be together. In fact, this scene opens up with him saying they can't even go shopping apart. And so all of this stems from him. 
And I believe she just kind of goes along with it. And so then when she does, he rejects it and acts like it's something that's coming from her. It's not a good look, Simon. I just, I ugh, I don't know. Again, just didn't like the vibe. And then creepy Simon sighting number, I don't know what, 8,762,000 at this point. And we're only in season two. But it cuts to Simon saying that he loves to see Alex in form-fitting clothes. And, you know, she has a phenomenal figure. And then we see her trying on outfits. And then she's trying on the tagline dress, the dress that she's wearing in the intros. That purple and white, I believe, what looks like a Hervé Hervé Leger. And of course, she looks fantastic in it. And then cut to Simon saying it was like she was wearing nothing but just a piece of cloth. And that's just perfect. He's like at the camera. It's so creepy. He's just, oh God, it's grossing me out. And we see the owner. He's explaining that the dress hides your bad parts, but that she doesn't seem to have any bad parts. And Alex says she has a few, but he's right. You can't see them in this dress. And as they're talking about this, they do a close up on Simon, who is like creepily over Alex's shoulder, staring and gawking at her. It's just, again, it's disgusting. And then I don't get what this is by production. This was really weird. But she's trying on clothes. He's trying on clothes. We're seeing clips of them in and out of dressing rooms. She tries on this 1950s sailor looking bathing suit. And the way that the camera does is they start out and they pan in directly on her crotch and stay there for a second or two. It's just, it's very strange. Anyway, I digress. So the shopping spree is over. They end up spending around 8,000 bucks. And again, another awkward moment. Simon is kind of, again, I think standing too close to her. It's like he's up against her as she's at the counter getting ready to pay. And he looks at the owner and he's like, oh, she's paying for this one. And she, because she always tries to play along with him and cover for him, looks up and says, well, you don't have to pay for everything. It's so weird. And it just strikes me as a cover up for not having the cash or there, there was some reason they needed to put it on that card or something. But again, he he's so awkward and doesn't know how to play his cards because if he wouldn't have said anything, I don't know that very many people would have picked up on it. But whatever, we see the girls who work at the store. They help them out with their bags. And the owner explains that there's a Puff Daddy party that night if they want to come. I'm sure they texted him immediately after that for the invite. And then just is a great way to end the scene. Simon's walking out. He's got his clicker. And I'm sure this was probably, again, this is 2008. This is probably super high tech. It's his Beamer. Because he announces it and says, open sesame and hits the the little clicker thing that you have on your keychain. But the trunk isn't opening. And so at the end, it just shows him kind of at the trunk having to do it manually going, why isn't this opening? It's classic, Simon. So then we cut to Jill. She's at her Hamptons house. She's in the pool with Bethany, who finds a frog. And Jill says, that's your prince. And we hear Bethany explaining that she was going to rent a house for the summer because she's got to go out to the Hamptons and work and cook. That's how she makes money over the summer. But Jill told her to save her money, put it towards your business, and you can stay with me for the summer. I've got plenty of room, she says. And of course, Bethany says, but granted, she did have a private chef all summer as well, which is true. But she goes on to explain she's never had a friend do that for her. And I really do think this shows Jill's generous side. Because for all the bad things you can say about Jill, she does like to give and it makes her happy to be generous. And I just think this is peak Jill and Bethany. They're in bed, in Jill's bed, 
Bethany is thanking her and saying how relaxing this has all been. And we hear Bethany's voiceover explaining that Jill's bed is the headquarters. It's the center of the universe. It's where they do all of their business. You see a clip of Bethany on her laptop on one side, Jill's on her phone on the other side. And the bed's beautiful. It's a big four-poster, like, mahogany bed. She's got blue and white, twelve fabric. And once they're done setting the scene and going over the clips, we see Jill and Bethany laying in bed. Bethany looks very pretty, side note. And we see Jill ask if she can bring up the J word, to which she means Jason. Jason number one. And this is where we get confirmation from Bethany that she and Jason have broken up. She explains that they needed to take a break. She needs to focus on herself. And blending families is never easy. And I loved this scene for a couple of reasons. But one of them is because they're in their real clothes. You can tell they're hanging out. Last episode in the season opener when they're talking about the page six article, the focus of the entire episode, she and Bethany are in her kitchen just in their regular summer clothes. And again, here we are. They're laying in bed. They're just in regular clothes. I love it. It just feels very authentic because it is. And so Bethany goes on to explain that, you know, blending families is never easy. And she says, let alone with a mess like me. Jill says, don't let alone with a mess like me. Don't say that. Bethany says, I know, but she needs to work on herself. And we hear Jill's voiceover. She's explaining that in reality, three kids was probably a lot for Bethany to take on. She says to to Bethany, I'm sure you should go do some therapy and focus on your work, but just make sure that you're not solely focused on your work. That's not going to make you happy. And the ladies talk it out. And again, it's a great scene of them in bed. Peak Jill, Bethany, Hamptons. It's great. And then we have clips that show Bethany impersonating Jill. She's in Jill's closet, putting on her clothes. She's got a wig on, putting on huge lips, lipstick, and she's speaking in the Long Island accent, screaming for Allie, who comes in. Bethany's pretending to be Jill, holding Ginger. Allie's dying laughing. Bethany's walking around. I'm Jill Zarin. I'm Jill Zarin. And then we hear Bethany say, but it's great because Jill can take it. And foreshadowing to season three... Can Jill take it? I don't know. But with that, they cut to what would have been a commercial break. And then we open back up on Jill's house again. We see Brad, her gay husband. He's there. He's explaining that Gloria, Jill's mom, is coming. And we see him turn to Allie, Jill's daughter, and asks if she's ready. Allie says she's not sure if she's ready for Hurricane Gloria. And I think that's a perfect way to explain it. And so Saul and Gloria arrive. We see Brad yell, Ginger, Grandma's here. And then we get a voiceover from Jill explaining that she misses her parents very much because 10 years ago, they moved down to Florida as much as most New Yorkers do as they get older. And then she explains it's just not the same without them close. And then we see a scene in Jill's kitchen where Gloria has something to give to Jill. She went into her vault, as Jill puts it, and she gives Jill this beautiful diamond ring. And we see Jill say, I've never seen this. Like, mommy, why are you doing this? And she's so grateful. And Gloria looks at her and says, you want to know why? Because I'm allergic to 14 karat gold. And I have to say, these types of narcissists are impossible. But again, Jill makes so so much more sense when you meet Gloria. But can you imagine buying your wife this beautiful diamond ring and she never wears it and complains about it because it's 14 karat gold? It's just, oh man. Nothing is ever good enough for her. And then we see Jill. She walks in. Bobby and her dad are talking. She hugs her dad. There's kind of this awkward moment where she hugs him for a long time and Bobby's just standing there. I don't know. Maybe it's just the TV that makes it seem awkward. But Jill says, what are you guys doing? And her dad explains that they're 
getting a different car because, as he says, mommy needs a lower car. And we hear Jill in a voiceover explaining that Bobby, her husband, gets internal anxiety when Gloria, his mother-in-law, comes around because she is, as Jill puts it, needy about certain things. And I think that's a very nice way to put it, that she's an impossible narcissist. And so Bobby says, let, let me show you what, what we have in, by way of cars. So they head out to their driveway. Jill and Bobby have a very large driveway where he has five cars, totally different options lined up. And I just immediately thought, stop. If you are somebody who your family members feel like they need to line up five different cars to make you happy, you're an asshole and you need to check yourself. But anyway, I digress. So they're catering to her. Bobby shows a white convertible. He explains, she said, it's too hard to get in and out of. It's a no-go. They show there's a Bentley. He explains that Gloria said it was too fancy. She's not getting in it. Then he explains the minivan, the minivan and the SUV were too high. She couldn't get in them. And that none of the ones he had were good enough options. So he and Saul have to go get another car. It's absolutely ridiculous First off, that somebody would even behave in this manner. And second of all, that people would go along with it and placate it. Oh, God. So anyway, the guys are off to get a new car. So then we cut to Ramona and she's going to lunch with Bethany to 75 Maine. And now rewind back to the last episode at Jill's charity event that closed out the episode. In the background, we hear Ramona say to Bethany, can we go to lunch on Sunday? 75 Maine, maybe? And when I watched that, I remember thinking that it was a bit strange that that was just kind of in the background and that it wasn't filmed or a part of the show. But I am wrong because I just forgot that this next episode, it is part of the show. So again, I love it. They walk in. They look great, but they're just wearing the regular clo- their clothes. Ramona's in white pants with a cute tank. Bethany's in white short with like a flowy top. Bethany, we hear her voiceover explaining that Ramona knows the owner. And now I think we can start to see that they are beginning to understand the power of the fame. You can get things from people if they think they're going to be filmed. You can promise people to shoot at their location or their business to get them PR. And so I think 75 Main is to Ramona what Bobby Vans is to Luann. Just a guess. But anyway, we see Ramona and, and Bethany, they're at the table. They're talking relationships. Ramona says, well, I think we're a bit alike. My issue was never meeting men. It was meeting the right kind of man for me. And Bethany says, yeah, I've only been with amazing men. There's not a single man I wouldn't say that that about that I've been with. She says a lot of the fight, the fault lies within me. And we see her voiceover. She's single, but she's not looking because she feels like you don't find when you're looking. And so we see Ramona. She says, you know, you may not know this about me, but I did contribute to two articles in Cosmo magazine. Now, Cosmo Magazine, Cosmopolitan Magazine, for those of you who don't know, is a fashion and entertainment magazine. And it was originally published in 1886. It was really a family magazine. And then around 1965, it transformed into the women's magazine that we know and love today. But it's been around forever. And so Ramona pulls out a binder and some of the magazines. They're from the early to mid-1990s. And she contributed to two articles. And Bethany says, oh, my God, I had no idea. And Ramona says, yeah, that's because I'm not like Jill. I'm not a bragger. And Bethany says, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean a bragger? And Ramona says, you know, Jill, she has to let you know everything that she does. And Ramona says, to know her is to love her. To love her is to hate her. That's what I say. 
And Bethany says, that's funny. That's probably right for you guys. She says, but for me to love her is to love her. I only love her. But you guys have your little thing, you know, but it seems like you're good now. And Ramona says, yeah, of course, we're good now, but I'm sure we'll have something, but let's not go there now. And Bethany drops a truth bomb, which is one of the reasons we love her, because it's her friend Jill, but she's honest. And she says, well, truth be told, Ramona, if Jill had been in Cosmo magazine, it would be framed on her wall and I would definitely know about it. And I didn't know about yours. So let's break it out and check it out. So Ramona explains its rules to manhandling. Bethany, her voiceover, she's loving it. She's like, man, what a shark way to go about it. So it's called Secrets of a Successful Manhandler. It was before she was married to Mario. And Bethany loves it. She says, that's funny because I always say I have to be handled. And Bethany's totally impressed. She's like, you wrote this? Get out of here. So she grabs the magazine. She wants to take a look. And you can tell Ramona's proud that Bethany's impressed. So Bethany starts going over the rules Number one, don't wait for Kevin Costner. Totally dates it. Ramona explains, don't, looks aren't everything. Be, you know, she's overly picky women, sit at home alone. Be a constant flirt. Bethany's like, oh, that's not me. She's like, she says, she's police line, do not cross. But she says she's clearly failing the test. And another rule is to take a number and call him. Another one is say no to last minute plans. Bethany's like, okay, that one I can get on board with. Booty call shit, I'm not on board with that. Another rule is to work on your body and take care of yourself. Number six, don't do it right away. Bethany's like, oh shit, I fail. Number seven, don't sleep over at his house. Make him sleep at your house, Ramona says. And Bethany's like, ooh, I'm blowing that one too. Bethany says, I'm like a guy. I don't like people in my space. And so how do I get them out in the morning? What am I going to do? I'm going to say I'm going to golf. And Ramona's like, say you have to go make skinny girl margaritas. Bethany loves it. They laugh. Bethany moves on to number eight. Never talk about other men. You can tell Bethany's like, I just basically failed all but one so far. Number nine, be observant when being when uh, around his mother. Bethany's like, okay, that one again, I'm, I'm with it. And then number 10, don't cohabitate before marriage. Bethany's like, well, I failed every rule except for number four and number nine. So I'm a failure. And then Ramona goes to put something else away back in her purse. And Bethany says, what's in there? And so Ramona shows her it's another magazine about bodybuilding. And I the, the article is called Bodybuilding Changed My Life. And there's a picture of a woman in a red G-string leotard with weights, totally glossed up. And Bethany's looking at it. She's like, who would want to look like this chick? And two seconds later, she realizes it. She goes, oh, my God, it's you. And it's Ramona. And don't forget, she used to do the bodybuilding, not the kind where they look like a gross, overly buffed up woman, but the kind where they're in really awesome shape, like like the kind that Teresa Judice did in Real Housewives of New Jersey. And we get a great voiceover from Bethany where she's like, there's this lubed up chick and it's Ramona. And they're dying laughing. She says she, she looked like warrior, Xena the warrior princess. Bethany's laughing, telling Ramona that this is grounds for blackmail. And so Bethany says, you know, they should they should do it now, do a redo, kind of a revisit, either about staying in shape or your rules. And Ramona says, yeah, like how to stay ageless or, you know, 10 rules for staying married at least 10 years or more. And Bethany goes, yeah, and then I can fail those in 10 years. It's so funny. And she goes on to say, I only got two of your rules right. And one of those was to breathe air. And what was the other one? Like, don't sleep with the guy on the first date at the table at during, you know, at the restaurant. She's like, so yeah, I got, I got that one. 
But again, it's a great bonding moment. Whenever we see Bethany and Ramona getting to spend alone time with each other and getting to be real with each other, they do have a nice connection. I always enjoy seeing the two of them bond separately from the other ladies. So then we cut back to Jill's Hampton's house and the guys are back with cars. We see Glory in the kitchen and she's asking, how many miles to the gallon does the new car get? Seriously. And even Jill's like, are you, don't worry about the gas, mom. Like, really? And I just... With everything going on, you can't believe that that's the question she starts asking when she wats down, not thanks for going and getting a 28th car for me to try. And we see an, a, a voiceover from Jill where she says the guys were nervous when they came back to with the car. And it's like, what? You're Again, why are they catering her to her like this? She's really got to be that awful because you've done everything Really, you've gone above and beyond at this point. So to walk in and be nervous about doing something that's above and beyond kind out of out of this world. So Gloria goes out to check the car. She gets in. She loves it. She's like, it's over. It's over. I'm going to stay here. It's perfect. But I'm telling you guys, if you want to know about Jill Zarin, you need to watch this episode. It explains so much. And then it's great. We see Bobby says, way to go, Saul. Congratulations. We're done. We don't have to listen to it anymore. And Gloria from the back is yells out, Bobby, am I that bad? It, it, I literally, you don't know if you're that bad. They had to line up five totally different cars and none of those could make you happy. And they had to go out and get another car to make you happy. Yeah, you're that bad. So anyway, then we fade to black for another break and we open back up, back in the Hamptons, but this time we're with Alex and Simon. We get their theme song. I'm just going to call it. It's the royalty, British royalty music. We get their theme song. They say the boys are at the pool, so they wanted some time alone. They're going to head to the beach. And I felt like, or they didn't want that piece of shit house they were staying at filmed. And of course, I think, I can't tell if they're trying to save face or if they're just fucking assholes, probably both. But of course, they're poo-pooing the Hamptons beaches. Right away, you see Simon make the comment as they're getting their typical stormy Atlantic Ocean. And then we see Alex. She's saying how Francois wanted to come to the beach, but he does not understand the beaches here, that they are nothing like the beaches of St. Bart's. And I just thought, why would you not bring your kids to the beach? It's just the whole the whole interaction about this is bizarre. And if true, they just clearly don't understand how to be parents. And then I was like, well, maybe they also did they not want to bring their kids because that would show them having fun. And the whole point of them going was to justify why they go to St. Bart's in the summer and not the Hamptons and to make it not about money. I don't know. I'm just I'm just riffing here. But we see them get to the beach and Simon's explaining that they're used to beaches closer to the equator. Alex explains that her parents had a house in the Caribbean. Simon is from Australia it always makes me think she just had a much better upbringing than Simon. He's a hanger on her and he makes her a hanger on her. So then we see Simon saying, oh, it would just completely spark the fear of God in the boys if they got rolled up in these waves. And then we see Alex saying, yes, and I don't want them to, you know, have a fear of water. So of course, we just couldn't bring them to the beach. And I'm like, what is this bullshit? Whatever. You're raising them to be fearful little uh, whatever. They, they say they're raising them to be tropical babies like they are. But if you really think taking them to an ocean like the Atlantic will scare them so much that they won't be able to get into the ocean again, there's other issues with their parenting skills that need to be addressed. 
Then we see Simon and Alex talking about the visibility and how, you know, the Caribbean Sea is just so crystal clear and here you can't see anything. And they're showing clips of the ocean. And of course, it it is more rough. I'm sure it's nothing like St. Bart's. It's probably like for those of us in California, it's the difference between going from San Francisco and that ocean, probably not that cold, but to Hawaii, right? You're not expecting the same. And then there's this ridiculous setup scene where they go down to the water's edge and Simon touches his toe in the water and jumps back. It's freezing. And Alex touches it and goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's it's icy. And they're just being so ridiculous trying to make it like it's just miserable at the beach at the Hamptons. And so then Simon says, you know, for bathing suits, when in Rome. But the weird thing is he and I don't maybe again, maybe he comes off creepy because he's trying to do things for camera. I don't know. But he says he's going to wear bathing suit trunks because he's in the Hamptons. But he pulls off his clothes and he's got Speedos on. And then he pulls out his trunks and is like, I better put on my trunks and puts those on. I just, I can't tell if this is just a function of him not knowing how to do things gracefully on television or just being weird or both. And then production, they're so shady. It's so good. Simon, we have a voiceover of him talking about, he was getting tossed around, but that he, you know, when he was body surfing, but he did catch a couple good ones, 20, 40 feet. And meanwhile, as he's saying that, they're showing clips of him over Alex's shoulder, getting totally tossed by the waves and stumbling and fumbling through the water. It's so shady. And then we're back on the beach with them. They're drying off, laying out in the sun. And they're talking about how the boys would just freak out at the waves. And Simon says, oh, and I wouldn't want them seeing me out there. And Alex says, oh, no, they would freak out if they saw you go under. And it's like, what the fuck? You guys are raising the wimpiest. I just don't get it. They're, I'm sure, prepping for their book. They're coming out with a book about raising kids. But this is just, no one's going to buy a book if this is the advice you're giving them. Leave them at home when you go to the beach because they might get scared if they see you go under the water in the ocean. I'm just, I can't take it. And then, of course, creepy Simon sighting number 8 million. What are we at? Whatever. Simon, they're laying there. Alex is like, we should probably get going. And Simon says, can we have sex on the beach? And Alex is like, here? And I just, I love her response because it's one of the ones where she's not coddling him. It's so great. And he goes, the cocktail, darling, the cocktail, come on. And then she tries to give him the fake laugh. We're just like, what are you? Ugh, awkward. Anyway, so we cut back to Jill's Hampton's house and Allie needs help packing. She's going to Paris to study French at the Sorbonne. It's a university in Paris. It's since been split off, but it was the like second oldest university in Paris. Pardon me, not Paris, but I think Europe. So Jill's, of course, yelling at Allie that she's packing too much and she's not bringing tennis shoes to pack. We see Jill's voiceover and she she's saying she's going to miss her a lot. And of course, a lot more than she'll miss her. We see Jill. She gives her a big hug, says, are you happy? Are you grateful? And Jill explains that every time Allie leaves, she gets depressed. So Jill's sad. Bethany comes out, gives her a big hug goodbye because now Allie's leaving for, for the, the summer. Everyone's crying. And we see Jill have that reality of, I know one day she's going to leave and she's not going to be coming back. So she's trying to be happy that this time she is coming back. So they leave to take her to the airport. And then we cut to Kelly. The only scene that we have of Kelly this episode, she's showing up at a Hugo Boss party. It really is a, a beautiful party. We have a voiceover from her that she's very lucky. She gets to go to a bunch of fabulous parties. 
And we see her explaining that she has to go to these parties because she writes for a column called The Socializer. And so she goes to parties that she thinks would be great for the column. And it's a really beautiful garden party. It, it really is. It's There's these big wrought iron gates when you walk in and looks like big sculpted um, foliage. It's really beautiful. It's beautiful grounds. So Kelly walks in. She We see her, Jeremy, what's up? And she's just high-pitched, annoying voice, very erratic. We see her explaining that going to parties is a lot of fun, but it's so hard for her to do her job when people just want to take her picture poor Kelly, but she's trying to, you know, see what's happening at the party. And we just see her, she's running around, she's hugging men. One guy she's saying hello to, and she completely interrupts him and abruptly says, I did my hair dark. Do you like it? Do you like it better than the blonde? And he's like, yeah, because it's just totally out of nowhere. It's so self-centered. And just, again, you're getting an idea of who Kelly is. We see her talking to models telling them to stand in order of making a pattern. And then at the end, Kelly's explaining to the guys there, she's been to a lot of parties, but this one is very foxy, she says. And then we see her voiceover and she said, look, me showing up is, you know, giving respect and credit to the whoever is throwing the party and they don't need me to stay the whole time. Okay, so I leave early and we cut to her leaving early. She's explaining she connects with people in the Hamptons and she was born to live there. And then there's a clip of her jumping down a couple of steps as she's leaving with her dress, of course, flipping up and showing her ass. And she's out. And then we cut to Bethany. She's in Jill's kitchen in the Hamptons with Gloria, Jill's mom. She, her voiceover is explaining that Gloria is the typical Jewish mother. She wants to talk about everything. She's concerned about everything. She picks and nitpicks at all of your things. We see Gloria, she's telling Bethany that she's very talented, but also very accomplished. And she likes accomplished people. She admires that about her because it takes work. And we hear Bethany say, Jill Vienta, of course, told Gloria all about my relationship issues. And now we're chatting. And so Bethany explains to Gloria that she can, of course, cook a 10 course meal and translate it into French. But when it comes to relationships, she is an infant and she's she can't move and she's tortured. So we see them sitting around the table. Gloria's giving her advice, saying that if you have issues you can't overcome, you need to go get some professional help and deal with them. And Gloria asks about her dad. Bethany explains that he's in California. There was very little contact. And Gloria says, of course, there's one of the issues plaguing you. And then Gloria reminds her that life is very short. As Gloria puts it, when I turn around, it's Passover. And then I turn around and it's Yom Kippur. And then I turn around and it's Passover again. Gloria goes on to say that she cries a lot. And then she goes to say something. She's like, oh, no, this isn't good because she's starting to cry. She's going to go to a bad place and ruin the day. And Bethany's like, no, no, no. Okay, we're not going to like say goodbye to today. No, no, no. Gloria's like, you know, everyone has problems, but you got to handle them. You deserve it. You shouldn't be a tortured soul. You know, you can't change the past. Let's just move forward. And Gloria, she's it's very sweet. She says, I'll be your adoptive mother. And Bethany says, oh, you're so sweet. And Gloria's like, no, I'm not. I'm not sweet. Bethany's like, true, true. And I like that moment of Gloria, at least the narcissist is being honest in one moment. And so we see Bethany. She's she's saying, I'm I'm not used to people caring for me. It's it's a bit uncomfortable for me because I'm not used to it. But Gloria gives her a hug and says she'll always be there for her. And then we fade to black. And when we come back, we open to Luann. She's getting ready in her Hamptons house. She has this beautiful white Ungaro gown on. She's ordering pizza for the kids because they have an event. 
Rosie's out of town and has been gone for over a month in the Philippines, and they really miss Rosie. And we see Luann ordering pizza. She gives her name Mrs. De La Seps, and who knows, maybe they asked for first name, but then we see her say Countess, and the guy clearly says who, and she laughs, and it's like, oh, Luann, what does Bethany say? Get over yourself. But her mom is in town from Connecticut. She's going to go with her to the American Cancer Society event where she and the Count are being honored, although the Count can't make it. He's in Asia, apparently. And we see Luann and her mom. They're sitting around her kitchen nook uh, table, and they're talking about her father who passed away of cancer. And then there's this great moment. I can't believe it made it to the episode. Luann shows a bit how production works. She laughs and says, Mom, you're supposed to say how proud you are of me, remember? And then she looks off camera clearly to producers and is laughing. And then I can't tell if this is producers being shady because it's a small clip of you can tell she was saying something bigger or if Luann was being a bit shady to her mom because she's always been throughout the years very complimentary. But she says something like, not that she wasn't a good mom. She was just busy with five kids or what, seven kids, whatever it is. But anyway, we arrive at the Diamond Ranch. This is where the event is happening. It is the Denim and Diamonds Gala for the American Cancer Society. And it looks like Kelsey Grammer's maybe hosting. Luann's doing a lot of ass kissing and talking with Kelsey throughout this episode. Jill and Bethany also arrive. Uh, Jill is wearing Dolce denim. We see them getting interviewed. They're talking to the press that's there. Bethany explains it's super hot. She's like, I'm sweating like a beast. Then we see the host. They're all sitting down at their tables, probably having dinner. The hosts are trying to talk. No one's listening to them. Luann abruptly gets up, grabs the microphone from the people on the stage and says, excuse me, but we have to pay attention. It's so rude. Please give these ladies your attention. She goes and sits down. And then Bethany says the irony is, of course, then she sat down and then chat, continued to chat with everybody at the table. And of course, Luann again gets mad because she hears the lady say Luann. She's like, why doesn't she say countess? Every countess everywhere. But whatever. Then we see the the clip of Luann that's played at the charity event. It's she and the Count. And I swear, I don't mean to be mean, but it looks like she was trying to fake cry. Anyway, she gets up, she gets the award. And the first thing she says is, thank you for paying attention. It's like, oh my God, Luann. Then dinner is over and they hit the dance floor. Bethany and Jill, they found a fan because it's apparently super hot under these tents And they're dancing in front of it. Bethany's hair almost goes in the fan and gets stuck, like disaster averted. And then we go to commercial break. And we open back up with uh, Jill at her house. Gloria, her mom, is leaving from her visit. Jill is explaining that she hates it when people leave her. We see Jill. She's sitting outside on her outdoor couch with her mom saying, you don't come enough. It's hard for me to get down there. I work and I have Allie. So Gloria says, Saul, let's try to get up here again next month. Ginger's, if you can believe it, the devil dog is sitting on Gloria's lap. Even they have to comment on it. And as Jill's saying that you don't come enough, Gloria says, are you guilting me? Only parents are allowed to guilt their kids, not the other way around. And then Gloria says, but you only guilt those that you love. So I'm like, oh my God, that is such a Jewish mother. No, you do not guilt people that you love. That's a shitty thing to do. But anyway, Gloria goes in. She says goodbye to Bethany. Bethany says, Jill's so lucky. She says, you're lucky too. We've adopted you into our family forever. Bethany, her voiceover says, Gloria's like the mafia. Once you're in, you can't ever get out. And so anyway, Gloria says bye to Jill and she leaves. And that's how they close out the second episode of season two. 
Well, that about does it for this episode. But join us next time when we break down Roni Season 2, Episode 3, On Their High Horses. And as always, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Deep Fix Podcast. And you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and most everywhere else. Please rate us five stars. Until next time, see y'all then.